Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. My, 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 my music hit me. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today to talk about You Were Never Really Here, we have Bill Graham. Woo! And returning from his brief sabbatical, Michael Snydell. I'm back. Hello. Hilariously, though. Uh, I still haven't released the last episode that we recorded, <laughs> so at this point, no one knows that you weren't on that, and since these two are probably going to come out pretty much back-to-back, people will only, like, for a day know that you were not here. Or, were you ever really here? Oh, yeah, there you go. Anyway. Why is there MC Hammer playing right now? MC Hammer. Uh, Hammer. <laughs> It's he has his name is Hammer. Uh, all right, all right. And right. Joaquin Phoenix uses a hammer. This all is just not right. hard. I got it. Anyway, okay. he, um, I walked a, into that one. Yeah, you did, you idiot. This is going to be a Ugh. weird episode. I am exhausted. Um, I've been painting my house, and I am spattered in paint, and I have no energy. Or have I reached that stage of tired where I've become manic? Time will tell. Uh, but we are here today to talk about the new film from writer-director Lynn Ramsey. Uh, that is You Were Never Really Here, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Judith Roberts, and Ekaterina Samsonov. Sure. Um, before we get into that, <clears throat> the usual stuff to talk about. Follow us on Twitter, at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Give us a comment and rating and subscribe to us on iTunes. And you can email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com, with all of your uh, thoughts and ideas and stuff. And, of course, uh, oh, I've already lost my mind. <laughs> so, uh, give to our Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow, for as little as $1 an episode. You can get access to our super cool Slack channel, and... Um, uh, raffles that we do and, and you help us to create great content for you to enjoy on your commute or at work or when you're avoiding your loved ones uh, we are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day they introduce a new film and you have 30 days to watch and uh, you're able to download those to watch them on the go, you can watch them on your PC your laptop, your mobile device if you're a Philistine, you can also download them and take them on the go Mubi is a great way to expand your horizons, learn more and see more world cinema. And in general, uh, it helps you to avoid the Netflix and Hulu trap of going to watch a movie and then just uh, instead starting to watch Justified all over again, which is exactly what I have started to do. Where is it? It's actually on Amazon Prime. (laughs) Wait, the whole series? Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit! Oh no! <laughs> like, go back to Don't do it, Mike. <laughs> Actually, do it. That show's freaking amazing. Um, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that's movie for your free thirty day trial. Uh, go to mubi.com dot com slash filmstage. Again, 
that uh, that, that number. Oh boy, it's going to be an episode. That is mubi dot com slash film stage. Uh, anything else, gentlemen, to talk about before we hop into our uh, our review here? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. All right, cool. Works for me. Um, so let us uh, get ready and uh, talk about the movie "You Were Never Really Here." Again, written and directed by Lynn Ramsey, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Where do you spend your time? What do you do? I'll take the home. It's done. All right, so that is the trailer for You Were Never Really Here. Uh, basic plot of this movie, Joaquin Phoenix is an uh, Army veteran and former law enforcement officer who now works as a freelance fixer slash hired muscle uh, primarily specializing in retrieving children uh, from the sex trade. Uh, he gets an assignment, and in the, uh, in the spirit of classic noir, nothing is as it seems, and nothing is ever easy, and no one gets out clean. So let's talk about this film and what we thought about it. Uh, let's start with Michael Snydell. Uh, so yeah, as, as Brian was saying, you were never really here, uh, a new film from Lynn Ramsey. And, um, I, I, I find, I, I think one, it's kind of interesting to talk about that. You were never really here like her other films, like things like what we need to talk about. Kevin and Wolverine, uh, Kilar are all kind of character studies about alienation that are haunted by death. So this very much kind of falls in line with that in terms of it, of him being a veteran and a hitman. And I, I would also say even more so than noir, I would compare this to kind of like existential hitman movies, something like ghost dog or Les Samurai or things along these lines. Uh, so Lynn Ramsey is a director who, I, I mean, she's a with directors we have, like uh, comparable to someone like Nicholas Rogue or any number of people. And that shows in every aspect of like the formal qualities of this film, from the cinematography to the editing to the um just framing up the shots. There's a precision here that you just don't see in a lot of contemporary films. Um, and there is a rhythm and mood that is like paramount in this movie. Like this, this movie is very much a, a tone poem. Um, now with that said, I wish that I liked the movie nearly as much as I found it interesting on a formal level. I think it's, uh, cut to the bone, but kind of underwritten and uh, thematically incoherent. And this is coming for me uh, kind of pretentious quite a bit. Uh, so I, I didn't really enjoy this movie. I, I think, again, that on a lot of technical levels, this is a very well-designed film. I just don't think that it's nearly fleshed out enough for even barely an hour and a half. And I think where it goes is far less interesting and is delved into 
in a in a more shallow way than I wanted. Um, but still, I would still recommend anyone to see this simply because, uh, again, formalism like this doesn't come around <laughs> that often. <laughs> All right, Bill Graham. I would echo a lot of Michael's sentiments, um, except that I wouldn't recommend this to everyone. Uh, I would recommend this to a select few, obviously. Uh, I guess I have a wider breadth of people to recommend things to because I cannot see half of my friends really enjoying this. And then the other half probably enjoying this a lot. Um, it is a slow burn. It is relatively... It, it's got a lot of the things that I really wish I'd loved more and it's got some conspiracy stuff that it's kind of dealing with and stuff like that. But a lot of that is really just, it feels hollow. It feels secondary to the story of, of Joaquin Phoenix's character and it's brutal. It's violent. It's, everything that I really want out of this style of film. And yet for some reason, it just never, never grasped me in the way that I wanted it to. Um, and I'm not sure if that's just simply because of the style of movie that I enjoy, or if there's something actually wrong with this film. Um, I haven't heard this universally praised as much as I probably would expect. And so I don't. I, I honestly don't know really what to make of this film, but that being said, I am curious to talk about it and kind of dive into it because I think there is a lot to kind of chew on here. I just wish there was more text instead of just subtext. Yeah. Um. So I I went through a I've gone through a whole thing with this movie. Um. <laughs> I went and I watched it, and I honestly had no. F- flipping clue what this was about i don't know why i decided to censor myself just that one time because i'm probably going to curse a lot during this episode um anyway so i had no idea what this was about and i was watching it and i was like oh shit this seems right up my alley and when i left the theater i was like oh shit that was right up my alley and i posted uh, like a, a star rating on letterboxd and the next like four people I talked to, I was like, yeah, it's really good. You should check it out. And then the more I've thought about it, the more I've been like, wait a fucking second. I don't think I actually liked that that much. I think that I really enjoyed. It's like, <clears throat> have you ever seen the bones of a rabbit? <laughs> like the bones of a rabbit, especially the skull, do not appear to be that of a rabbit. And so you might look at the skull of a rabbit. I encourage you to Google it now. And this is not the rabbit duck thing. This is literally the bones, correct? Like, find <laughs> you go on Google and type in rabbit skull and look at the skull of a rabbit. And you're like, oh shit, that thing looks fucking like dope as hell. That is a metal ass skull. And then you swap in the actual head of a living bunny and you're like, oh, okay. All right, sure. <laughs> like, I loved the bones of this movie, but the flesh. <laughs> And sinew and fur that covers it, I realized I really didn't like. So I love the basic plot and story and and what I could do with it in my head. But mm-hmm. then I was thinking back on what I actually saw, and I was like, I think I am putting a lot on this film that it's that's not so good. <laughs> like there there are moments that I dig that are that are 
complete and and solid within the movie but then i'm just like but all the other stuff that i really like is stuff that the movie seems viciously disinterested in so that it can keep doing like these scare jump cuts to like traumatic things from his past and like you know i i love wait, wait. The- is this is that a spoiler i i i this is a dumb question within this film because it doesn't really feel like there's real spoilers but is is it a spoiler that say that he we're consistently like having flashbacks driven flashbacks i don't think so all right all right ignore me then continue yeah, all right i i mean bill you're usually our spoiler guy like is that a have we lost bill bill Oh, damn it. Oh, Bill was never really here. <laughs> how, how many times are we going to say that? Okay. Uh, it's going to be a lot. Uh, all right. Uh, wait, so did we lose him from the call? Or No, it said that he was still there, but I'm going to I'm gonna try to bring him back. Yeah, he says he's still, he's still in. Hello? Hey, there you are. What we lost you. <laughs> uh, Could you hear what now. I was saying? Yeah, and okay. I was speaking up as Michael was saying, like, Oh, is that a spoiler? I was like, fuck no. Okay, and then so he kept talking and I was like, I what is going on right now? I'm having I'm having a conniption fit. Like I don't understand why y'all aren't understanding me and like acknowledging me. Okay, well so Bill has his 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 voiced his uh his opinion. It's not a spoiler. Yeah, because no. I don't think right. it's like saying like there's edits. You know? Yeah. Just like you you get flashes to his and and like I think that the way that they're employed later on could be spoilery, but like in general, just the fact that every once in a while you see him as like a child or in like the military and stuff. Like, I don't think that that's, but like the way that those flashbacks are incorporated in it, it started out kind of cool, but then like it really started to bug me because like Manchester by the sea has a similar thing where like it'll cut, hard to a flashback that it might take you a little while to realize is a flashback but like this it was really like jump scary and i didn't like it and i really wanted i'm a fan of like the silent protagonist and like i fucking love noir i love a guy who realizes that like the only justice in a corrupt system is the violence he can implement towards it um and unfortunately like this movie while it has that as like a trapping, it's not its focus. And so the more I thought about it, I was like, man, I was really quick on the draw with that four stars. It should probably be more like three or I think three because I still like it formally. But like, yeah, I think that it's it's a weird movie because the most interesting part of it to me is not this character, but the way that he responds within this story and the way that the story goes doesn't really serve that well and so it seems to misunderstand its own its own self and so like my general thoughts on this movie are really huge missed opportunity especially because otherwise aesthetically the music the performances i was like totally on board but only enough to trick me for a long time into thinking i liked the movie until i really thought about it Well, Michael, do you see now why you you didn't have to be upset with me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I I was not expecting us to all agree on this. Well, the crazy thing is, I think that like, I think that maybe like as we go on, like we'll find different reasons that the movie struck us each as like wanting. Especially because like I started out loving it, and then, Mm -hmm. 
and then I've like kind of felt myself slipping away. Like I want to. Well, I, I think I think you kind of hit on the same thing that Mike hit on was you just appreciated so much of like the camera and the editing and kind of the pace of the first kind of half of this film. And then the more you went on, you started to realize, you know, this thing has a lot of holes in it and it, it, it's not holes in terms of like plotting or structure. It's just holes in terms of like it it follows its own fucking rabbit. And, you know, if 10 people watch this film, half a person is going to say, yeah, I like that rabbit. And the eh, it was OK, you know, and, yeah. and nine other people are going to be like, what the fuck is this movie about? You know? <laughs> Well, I so. think I think the other kind of the other experience I had, Bill, was like I realized that even formally, I don't like what it adds up to. <laughs> like it's individual parts formally that I'm like, oh, this is a really cool idea. This is a really cool idea, but this is not in any way con- congruent. Like even uh, like getting staying let's, completely let's... away from performances, staying completely mm-hmm. away from like narrative. Like even like on a camera basis. I feel like this is two different movies. Like, I, let's let's I touch on to, yeah. Let, let's touch on something real quick because sure. one thing that struck me early on in the film that I I really appreciated. Wow, <laughs> is that lightning or thunder? <laughs> That's, That's a little of both. <laughs> um. Anyways, one thing that struck me early on in the film was its use of camera work and its use of security cameras, and I'm not gonna kind of delve into what it actually does but or uh you know kind of the plotting around that but i think it's really really fucking ballsy and like really interesting to kind of look at and just say you know we're we're basically going to give you the security cam footage of this sequence that's happening and it's going to blip every five seconds into a different sequence or a different area and i could tell it was kind of set up so that you actually do follow some of the action, but at times it also like blips away from the action in this really kind of moody and like fucking like amazing way. And I was just like, Holy shit. I'd love what this film is doing already. And then it kind of continues that again at another moment, but it's not nearly as satisfying upon second deployment. And because it it doesn't really do anything with it. And I found like like that sequence in in and of itself, if you put that in a better movie, it would it would be one of those things where you just like highlight that clip. Right. Um, You would see it on like an Oscar B roll or some shit like that. Like you just like, wow. All right. That's that's cool. That's inventive. That's clever. And then you're like man, I wish more of this film was something worthy of, like, recommending to people. Well, I think what's even weird about even, like, speaking about that first third and, like, with the security camera and even, like, the way that first third is shot, it's shot at this remove where Joaquin Phoenix's character, like, his body is a tool. Like, in the same way as something like A History of Violence or like John Wick, if it was like less interested in following everything, like like that first third has very much has that like it, it emphasizes that blankness on Joaquin Phoenix's character, and the violence is shot in a way whether it's whether it's either extremely plain or it's moving so fast you have no idea what's going on, and then like that 
then the second and third part of the film seems like then it wants to do the complete op- opposite and kind of like burrow into the consciousness of this person. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't understand why, or, or I, I don't think those two things can exist simultaneously. Like I, I kept thinking at times that parts of this would make a, a great short film. And as you were mm-hmm. saying, Bill, like there are sections of this that feel very self-contained and, and to its credit, I, I think, I think Ramsey and Phoenix like are working together enough to know how to, you know, keep the film relatively grounded. But like, I couldn't help, but then, you know, start thinking uh, about the editing and how, it did, as Brian said, like gets into jump scare territory because I think the weird thing about the film is um, at least in terms of her other films, they feel kind of druggy in terms of the editing. And this is like a very rigidly sober film, which I feel like is trying to mirror Joe's, you know, state of mind. Like he's, you know, constantly like uh, swir- or you know, swirling out of control and he's trying to you know, calm his brain. And so like, it's, it's that weird thing where like, you're talking about, I can make that jump and be like, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) But like, that doesn't really work for me as a whole movie. Like, like it's that thing where I have to intellectualize so many of these different aesthetic choices and rhythm choices. But like, when it comes to actually watching the movie, I don't find them enjoyable or actually adding up to anything. Like that's, that's what's kind of weird. Yeah. And for me, I mean, like you were saying, Mike, there's, there's moments in this film that I'm like, this is a good short film within this film, but what it's doing is so vastly different from what's come before. I mean, in general, I'm with Bill. I liked the scene where we had, um, the camera footage, the security camera footage flipping. And I kind of like, I kind of like the fact that like the, the movie kind of just trusts you to understand like the almost uncinematic brutality of, of the way that this man works. And so it just kind of gives you like the aftershock because I just think, I just think seeing hulking, Joaquin Phoenix beating people with a hammer it would probably not be as fun as we think it is. Um, <laughs> you know, cause it, 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 this is, this is awkward to say given our uh, current national discourse, there's something really fucking cool about a person with a gun killing a lot of people. And, you know, sure. in a movie like John wick or the matrix, like that shit has some kineticism and noise and stuff. But like, first of all, Joaquin Phoenix in this movie is probably the closest that Joaquin Phoenix will ever come to looking like me, which is like (laughs) tall, out of shape, covered in scars, suicidally depressed, beard, hair is too long, and probably could use some more sleep. And it's, you know, I just don't think that, I think that we would get tired of that. And his, his brutal effectiveness makes it so it almost feels like by the time the movie has caught up with him, he's already done that work. So I didn't quite Uh mind that. What it really comes down to for me is I love it in in a, in a detective story or something when like, you know, the, the detective is like in a chair and it's, it seems he's got like a gun to his head and, and the big bad guy is like, 
you know, what did you think you were going to do, Mr. Marlowe? And Marlowe's like, oh, I figured it all out. You know, you and Sonny Malone were going to push the drugs through the port, but you had to rub out his sister first because you, she saw you with his wife and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's not really a spoiler to say this movie is very uninterested in delivering a scene like that. Sure. And this movie has so many things in it that are interesting on kind of a reptilian level. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's not even like it, it decides to avoid those for the sake of doing something else. Because like at the end of the day, I don't feel like we know anything about these characters that we didn't know in the first 10 minutes. And so it's not like we, it's not like at some point he's sitting in that chair and he's like, you know what? I really don't give a fuck about this. Like I'm just trying to make myself feel better, blah, blah, blah. It's like, He's just kind of a machine moving forwards, occasionally swinging a hammer at people. And at the end, that still seems like it's probably what he's going to be. I, so, I think like, they, I don't know what I've I, done. I don't know what the I don't know sure. what the I don't I don't understand the point. I guess. I, I will think say they though, admittedly the movie is short, almost so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, bonus points for being short. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying, Mike. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. It's, it's okay, I'm finally done. <laughs> I think they admittedly almost subvert that with his relationship with his with his mom. Uh, it's not really a spoiler to get. I mean, that's very early in the movie that like you it kind of just stops the movie for like a 20 minute sequence where he's just like day to day with his mom. Um, and yeah, they have very good. they have a very different dynamic. Uh, and one that like makes the movie feel. Oh, you mean he doesn't try and kill her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's it makes very the different. Movie feel far more unpredictable, like uh, almost harkening back to like the master, like the early scene with Joaquin Phoenix, where you know he's trying to like hump the sand. L- like there was something very reminiscent of like that weird like wiliness, like coexisting yeah. with it's, like this weirdly bizarre melancholy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, like this, there's a great scene where he keeps dropping a knife and it almost hits his foot and he moves his foot back. Yeah. Like he's it, talking to her through the door. Yes. <laughs> and it's like that stuff where I'm like, this isn't bland. Like there's enough like distinctive. Like I, I, I feel like Ramsey has a real sense of like how intimate moments work and how they're kind of weird and random and sometimes kind of pointless and I feel like that's something that's throughout all of her films. And it's it, – it, there are a number of those moments like in, in this film. I, I, I guess – all right. I, I'll wait till spoilers to mention the other one I like. But uh, it's it's a little bit later and it involves a song and two people on oh, the ground. absolutely. Yeah. I know what you're talking I, about. And I, and I those... can't wait to talk about that scene, which is crazy because – so like they oh fuck it's gonna be hard to talk about most of this movie until spoilers i will say that i was really down for what this movie was doing i think up until the point that our hero puts on a suit um and everything from the suit point on i was like i don't i like i guess i'm just gonna go along with this but i don't know if i i don't know if i like where it's going and i i'm it's a testament to how much i like the idea and the basic <laughs> plot points of this movie that I really want to read the novella by Jonathan Ames that this was based on because which 
Which, by the way, isn't this a weird choice? Because he did Bored to Death, right? Isn't that he Jonathan He did Bored Ames? to Death, but he also did, like, We pa- I Pass by Night. Like, he, he okay. does some seedier stuff. But his his uh, his uh television work, Bored to Death and Blunt Talk, seem to be a little more... Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little more jolly. Blunt but Talk, yeah. I Pass, like, I Pass, I pass by Night, I, I think it's Pass by Night, is, is, like, all about this guy who's, like, a doorman at the Four Seasons who, like, goes and has sex with prostitutes. It's, I mean, it's pretty seedy dark okay. novel so like i really want to see like what this started out as and see if it gives me a little more of that that noir like grizzled tough guy punch that i was kind of hoping for and then and then even just the way that this film seems to be subverting it i just i just wish that like it's so rare that i wish characters spoke more <laughs> about themselves in a movie um, sure. I'm usually like, you know, no one talks like that. You know, no one says like, I'm sorry. It's just that ever since my brother died, I haven't been able to forge real connections. with anyone. <laughs> and, you know, that's just not how we talk as sure. humans. But I really wanted a moment in this movie where like two of the characters just sat down and like had an open dialogue about their feelings. <laughs> I mean, and, Brian, like, like everything that's, that happened. that's, that's why screenwriters are paid fairly well when they're really good is because they're able to get that kind of dialogue and get that kind of context out through, you know, out through other means than just straight exposition. You know, they're able to do it with a look at a, at a board, a whiteboard that says monsters, How question mark, there? you know, what is there yeah. this? <laughs> you know, like shit like that, you know? So, you know, I, I think, I don't want to discredit her and and the the writer here, but certainly you would hope that there was more. Like I, I just can't imagine what kind of notes Joaquin Phoenix got or or like asked. You know, mm-hmm. like like okay, so so tell me about my character. You know, and feel- she's just like, nah, man. <laughs> well, what's funny is that like the flashes we get tell like a pretty complex intriguing brutal story about this guy's life i i I really just wish that like i want the prequel i want the prequel (laughs) that's that would be a hell of a prequel um i really don't think i would i prefer to i think i've said this before i don't like to see people get broke i like to see broken people um I, I like that. That's why I like the Star Wars prequels are kind of dumb for me because I have to watch this shitty, snotty little kid <laughs> turn into Darth Vader. Nah, man, I want Darth that's Vader. Terrible. That's a I terrible. I want Darth Vader boy. to show up already. Like, yeah, life sucks. My wife is dead, and my children are dead, and I'm gonna fuck up the rebellion. Like, that's I. I think that like this is the best part of his life to talk about. I just wish that they talked about it. And there's at least two to three different literal scenes where people are sitting and like, it is the moment where people would have a conversation and yet they studiously avoid having a conversation. And, um, I don't know. And it's weird again, cause there's like little things in this movie that I like. I like the way that he talks to himself and like repeats lines from like his life. Mm-hmm. Because like that is something that I don't you know I, I I almost said everyone does that I don't know if everyone does it I know I do it um, especially when I'm like alone in my car just thinking about like the mistakes I've made and like the things that I said right before everything went wrong 
And I just end up like mumbling them to myself as though I'm trying to like draw myself back so I can make a better decision. And like that kind of thing and the, the, the rawness and the anger and the sadness behind it that Joaquin Phoenix brings is like really something mm-hmm. special. But I just like, I feel like this movie never like grips it hard enough. It never grabs hold of it and like really says like, this is what this is about. But it's not, and I'm not saying, because I know people are going to be pissed at me. I'm not saying this movie needs to tell me what it's about. I think this movie just needs to figure out what it's about. Well, I think, Brian, I I think it's kind of, again, I don't want to say it's, no, you know what, I'm I'm not going to stay. I I don't think Lynn Ramsey successfully navigates the, the blankness of like the mood and the atmosphere and trying to get into this person's psyche. Mm-hmm. And that's what this film both it wants to do both of those things. And I don't I don't think it successfully does that. I think Joaquin Phoenix honestly does a very admirable job, admirable job into giving you an idea of his, an idea of an interiority. And like it's, it's also should be noted again, can certainly has a history of being trolls, but they gave this best screenplay. And I want we also to gave use- it a seven minute standing ovation. And I think, you know, Brian's Brian's own reaction to this film is kind of indicative of of a being the first person to see a hotly anticipated film with, you know, one of our our best living actors um, right. of one his of generation. Our, certainly. One of our most like iconoclastic kind of interesting directors and writers. Yeah. Too. And, yeah. And I think, I think that that festival fever atmosphere in combination with how good formally it is in so many aspects and so many respects, and people you know, just, I can see this getting a stand. Some, someone five minute tree stand. of life. It can. So, I mean like, who, sure. Who, who sure. Gives yeah. a fuck what they do. It but, can. I, but I mean, yeah, I think giving it best screenplay is, I feel wow. like there are moments that make me say like, Oh, I can definitely see like in sure. the Oscars, what like the, the role would be <laughs> like, you know what they would play when they say like best screenplay you would sure. never really hear Lynn Ramsey. And then it like shows a particular scene. And I like, I could see that, but like as a cohesive full document, I just feel like I just don't see it. It seems very off to me. And that's, that. that's what I wanted to transition into. Again, I'm close to getting into bad faith assumptions here, but I have to admit, in in the days since I've seen this film, I can't help but think in the same way that we've been talking about A Quiet Place and it being called, you know, an elevated thriller or no one being willing to call it horror, (coughs) excuse me, that this as well is art house pulp. It's pulp that granted has an incredible technical mastery behind it Mm -hmm. and a wonderful central performance, but it is nonetheless interesting to me that I, Bill, admittedly, I have seen a lot of raves for this movie. I've seen a lot of people calling this one of the best films of the year and hearing this and seeing how this handles the issue of trauma. Like I can't help, Again, a little bit apples and oranges, but I can't also help think like, why aren't we talking about trauma in relation in relation to both John Wicks, for instance? Let me like, 
Like there is something here to me that is a little bit like this feels like you're you're selling me bullshit and telling me it's gold. And it's not bullshit, but I'm just saying there's something it's, about this whole experience, hold on. especially in terms of where it goes, that I, I think it feels like a provocateur's touch in a way that Bill, rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, Bill, you you got your thing, and then I yeah. definitely have something to say about the uh, the whole elevated villain genre here thing. Sure, sure. Um I'll touch on two things real quick. Uh, first, yes, I did kind of take a gander at the Rotten Tomato score, and I see it's got like, I don't know, like 80 reviews, and they're all, it's like 85%. So, yes, there are a lot of good cr- critical consensus behind this, although I do question how much of that came directly from cans and how much, or con, well, I don't know, I, I'm done <laughs> trying to pronounce that fucking name um frenchy mcfrencherson's french cinema festival yeah <laughs> um they give the wow, palm d'or that was uh, i don't know that's that's it's a little harsh brian but we'll, we'll, we'll move forward um and so I, I just don't know how much of that is recent people seeing that out of the context of, of cans and seeing it out of the festival kind of circuit and stuff like that so i always have to you know, temper my expectations when I hear a lot of raves out of one single festival. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, it's interesting because uh, someone I was listening to recently, and I I promise I get back on subject real quick. Uh, Someone I was listening to recently was talking about uh, Sundance buzz and things like that. And they were saying, if it ends up playing a couple other festivals and then it also plays Toronto and the Toronto screenings are still buzzed, then that means it actually has sustainability, not just Sundance. Oh my God, we're seeing this at the beginning of the year and nobody's seen this ever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those things. And I think that, I think there is something to be said about festival fever and, and what that does to you seeing, you know, 10, 20, 30 films in five, 10 days. Um, that being said, I think a direct comparison for this film, and and as you were talking, Michael, I was thinking about this, a direct comparison for this film would easily be someone like Nicholas Winding Refn, maybe Mm -hmm. Only God Forgives, where you just look at it and you're just like, holy shit, this guy knows how to make a movie, except he only knows how to make like half of a movie. (laughs) And the other half is just like, what is going on? And at least that film has a lot more fun with kind of its subject and, and things like that. Um, certainly it's, I guess it's more brutal in a lot of ways. Are we talking about only God forgives? Did you call only God forgives fun? Uh, at times. Yes. I would say that. So that's actually, that's what I, I, I wait for you to finish bill, but I, I, no, no, that, that, that's, that's, that's where I was going to drop it. Okay. Fantastic. So like, you know, we talk about elevated blank fill in the blank movies. I feel like, we could we could talk for 17 hours about quote unquote elevated horror. I feel like it's just that like people people got used to like starting with Ring the Ring in like 2001 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like Sorry. after that movie, which I think today would be called an elevated horror movie, 
Um, we got used to a bunch of real shitty PG 13 horror films that were like remakes of Friday the 13th or Halloween or whatever. They really drug. Yeah. They drug Friday the 13th and and (laughs) Freddie and Halloween really through the mud. Like they, they did that. Even just beyond that. What, what, what the problem is, is that you kept getting like the, I don't know if Len Weissman ever did a horror movie, but it feels like he probably would have. And he's definitely like the platinum dunesy kind of guy. Like sure, but horror, I horror right, stars. Just to like, to, just to can pause, I so it's not. No, sorry, I just want to say it's not only like the shitty ones. I think right. Final Destination, for instance, doesn't get a lot of respect either. Right, but what I'm saying is like we we went through a period where like a, a horror movie would come out and it would suck almost universally, and then people suddenly realized that like people were still making good horror movies, but that they were handsomely made and they weren't like jump scare cut fests. And they didn't know how to respond to that. They didn't res- know how to respond to like good formal invention or just good formal execution in a horror movie. So they started saying, well, this is a horror movie that's trying. I haven't had one of those in a while. Let's call it elevated horror. <laughs> Let's call the witch or it follows movies that are not pretentious, quote unquote, in their their blocking and camera work and score just for the hell of it. Like they're doing it to make a point. One of the reasons those movies work is because the aesthetic put behind it is in service of the horror that you're supposed to be feeling. I would say the same thing goes for a quiet place. And we're just not used to that. We're like, we're used to like shitty torture porny kind of like, it doesn't matter. No one wants to get their skin peeled off. So if we show that it counts as horror, (laughs) but like we forgot that like you can just make a really fucking solid movie that looks good as well acted and isn't like the exorcist is not elevated horror, but if it were made today, it probably would be. Like we have to drop that, and I think that it you you made a good point of like this feels like an elevated genre pick, but in a bad way, like in in a in that kind of self conscious, meaningful way, or not meaningful but purposeful way that people yeah. kind of say when they're like, okay, well if it's a horror movie with like a steady cam <sighs> shot, then it's an elevated horror movie. It's like no, it's not how that works. This movie, on the other hand, is someone who seemed to look at like a pulp tale and say, yes, but how do I elevate it purely through aesthetics that sometimes don't make sense for the movie? And I really wonder what this film would look like given to a Joe Carnahan or John Hillcoat or, as Bill was mm. saying, Nicholas Winding Wind- Wind- Refn, who gets that that like pretentious label a lot. But I think that his nonsense his bullshit his aesthetic is another way of heightening what he knows to be pulp so like his art house pulp is Mm -hmm. art is an art house pulp movie that is made in a pulp way instead of a pulp movie that is then trying to be made in an art house way and i think that's Mm -hmm. the difference i think he looks at a movie and says i want to make like an exploitation genre pick about how (laughs) The beauty industry in Hollywood makes young women hate <laughs> each other. And, Keep the sleaze, too. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, all right, yeah, I'll just do that and I'll make it look fucking pretty because that's who I am. And I think <laughs> that it'll serve the film well. Like, I loved Only God Forgives. I loved Drive. I loved Neon Demon. Neon Demon nearly gave me my daughter like two weeks early, which <laughs> was funny. And, um, but like this movie, it just, uh, it, it's the one that I can think of off the top of my head recently that really does feel like 
I kind of just wish it had been given to someone who was a little more willing to like embrace the grime and get their hands dirty and like just kind of pony up to the fact that like this is a conspiracy theorist noir like brute force film that should be made in the style of 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 a like a like a like a John Hilko movie like really like give me that grit and sheen of triple nine or give it to Joe so, Carnahan damn it. Damn it. Give it to Joe Carnahan coming off the gray, you know, something like that. Know. Like someone who's not afraid to like maybe push the action up a little bit, but will also still have the time to like give you a little bit of the psychology, you know? Or, or alternately make this a movie, you know, something like The American where it's about someone who, you know, maybe them as a violent person is in the background, but focus more on the psyche and the consciousness. And I feel weird because we're getting into a place where we're like, oh, this fantastic director shouldn't do, you know, genre work. But it, I, I just can't help but but have this weird reaction to this movie in the same I don't know, in a parallel way that the the Quiet Place discussion it, rubbed me wrong the wrong it's, way. It's super weird because it feels like th- this this awesome director doesn't want to be doing genre work. Sure. You know what I mean? Like she seems to be actively pushing back against it. Like it it's a movie that feels a little ashamed of how basic it is. You know? Like it, it like I sure. can imagine someone I can I can imagine someone. Like imagine if this person got uh their hands on on the novel that inspired Die Hard. And if they had made Die Hard instead of John McTiernan, you know? Sure. And it's like, well, we, what we really got to do is we got to really drill down into the psyche of John McClane and have flashbacks <laughs> to his time on the police force and his fights with his wife. And then, um, you know, maybe at the end he can kill the terrorist guy. Michael Mann missed Jurassic Park by hours. I want to see Michael Mann's Jurassic oh Park. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that would have been the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> they should just give him Jurassic World three. Um, <laughs> I, I, instead of Trevorrow, yes, please, thank you. Good God, what um, what was I gonna say? I think we should get into spoilers. I think we probably. That, um, I agree. Yeah, so let's. Uh, this is your opportunity to dip out if you haven't seen. You were never really a, here. A uh, a solid universal shrug emoji. Yeah, I um I mean like if you're into it, if you're interested in it despite everything we've said, go see it. The funny thing is like it's it's not I didn't hate watching this movie, but I don't I like like I said, I've kind of metamorphosed. So like I think people could get a kick out of this. Um I think it, it it's obviously feeding into a good discussion. I just don't quite understand the universal praise it's gotten critically, which is a weird thing for me to say. Um but let's I think talk the thing spoilers. Where while I was watching it, I, I I knew what I was supposed to be feeling, and I was never feeling it. It was a very frustrating sensation. Yeah. So so body. the basic spoilers. Let's. I'm just going to run through the the plot so we don't have to go beat by beat. But basically, he's hired to find a girl who's the daughter of a state senator in New York. Um, the guy has been given. He he claims he has been texted anonymously the address that she is being kept at. So he goes there. Hammer in hand, uh, gets her out, takes her to the hotel where he's supposed to meet her dad, and then um, two dirty cops show up, uh, kill the hotel, uh, the concierge. It's a seedy flop house. I don't think it really has a concierge. (laughs) Uh, The receptionist. And then they take the girl, 
the guy's like right about to kill Joe, but then Joe gets the drop on him. Um, then Joe follows like the, what's the word I'm looking for? He follows the trail of destruction left by these men, this like shadowy cabal as they search for him. This involves finding his, uh, his employer dead. Um, the shopkeeper who he used to use as a messaging service and his son dead. And finally his mom is dead and he kills two people in his house, has a very tender moment with one of the guys that he killed, um, before he bleeds out and finds out that it's the governor of New York. This fucking thing goes all the way to the top. Governor New York is doing this because this girl who, did we get her age? I would say like 13, 14, uh, 13, 14 at the oldest. Um, she's a young girl and so this apparently, but apparently this girl is the governor's favorite. So the governor wasn't okay with her being taken out of the, the, the underage whorehouse that she had been kept in, got her back. And Joe is about to drown himself during his water burial of his mother when he says to himself, nope, I got to save that girl. Goes to the governor's house in upstate New York, uh, hammers a bunch of people to death, and then finds the governor already dead. Walks downstairs, has some hallucinations, and then sees this girl. Um, can't remember her name. Anyone? Uh, do, 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 do. I want to say Nina, but that doesn't sound right. I'm not good with names. Sorry, fellas. I oh, just had Nina. it open. Right. It's Nina. It's Nina Voto. So he finds yeah. Nina. <laughs> she is in like a a dress of some kind. She is sitting at an opulent dinner table, eating some potatoes, drenched in blood with a blood covered straight razor next to her. There's she's some blood on, on those potatoes too. And she keeps eating them. <laughs> yeah. She's hungry, man. You know, uh, it doesn't matter. Blood is just, uh, it doesn't matter. Let's move on. <laughs> anyway. So he finds her. Um, he's all like, holy shit. And she's like, it's okay, Joe, let's go. And so they go and they have some milkshakes and he fantasizes about blowing his brains out. And then she comes back and she's like, let's go. It's a beautiful day. And he's like, yeah, it is. And then it's, it's over. Um, <laughs> there's a, so this is the type of thing where like part of me after I was done really wanted to call someone who'd seen this and just been like, so can we talk about like, was the dad molesting this girl too? You know, the guy on the kitchen floor said that they traded. So was the dad having sex with underage girls? Does that mean that the dad never got an anonymous text message? He just knew the whorehouse that his daughter was in. Like, I, I like, I, there's a lot of basic information that I'm kind of missing that sure. like as a, as a mystery hound, I kind of want to know, but that I know in the end isn't too important. But given that like Joe has not flashbacks per se, but like mentally envisions like this girl on a bed, like getting caressed by her father. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm like. Are we just supposed to take his his desire to free her as enough? Like, I, I really wish anyone else I pissed off basically that like the plot wasn't resolved more. <laughs> I really wish that they uh, would have made them less white politician one and white politician two. Oh, because yeah, really that wish got it... confusing. Yes, I was because at, at some point you see both of them on screen, and I was like, "Oh, oh shit, those twins? are two different people." <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least so give one that, of them blonde hair, you know? <laughs> yeah, something. Jesus, 
um, give give him like a, a a mustache or you know something. Yeah, right. Because my think, first, I don't know. Like, so my first thought was like when 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 uh the senator like is is apparently like suicided himself. I was like, oh shit! Like they're they're coming for Joe now because the senator was tortured and told him what was going on and then got thrown off a roof. Sure. But then it kind of makes it seem like maybe he was just like upset about the fact that he sold his daughter and then tried to get her back and then. Yeah, I'm not sure. Up. What I don't know. I, th- I think the weird part about that as well, Brian, is that like that if there was any part that nodded to noir for me, it was kind of like that moment because that kind of felt like something like, you know, something out of long goodbye or um, all right, long goodbye is what I'm coming to at the moment. But like what's strange about that moment is like this movie isn't really difficult to follow as far as like chronologically or anything like right. you can think of a lot of noirs that are even a lot more like twisty and not even like narratively but like twisty in terms of uh time and space and this movie like is very much grounded so it's that weird thing where it is very grounded you feel like you're almost seeing everything but then like it's like a part of the plot just wasn't even addressed so it makes it like extra weird (laughs) because it's it's a very like direct that ending again like it's it's very direct and it seems like it should answer those questions Mm -hmm. even if it's not really into it but it it further just gives this feeling of the whole thing feeling kind of half-hearted but not really in like a thematically interesting way i know we disagree about inherent vice but inherent vice kind of i thought did some of this stuff in more interesting ways um Mm -hmm. in terms of just not uh, in terms of just some parts of the story being like, this is too weird for even us to entangle. <laughs> but but you feel like they came up with something. And I didn't feel that with this because I felt like it was constantly deciding that this was actually about trauma and trying to get through that. And and that's what's that's why when that last moment where he almost shoots himself and I have to admit it, it's it's a bracing moment because he essentially uh you said he shoots himself but he shoots himself and no one reacts in this yeah. fantasy sequence which is is kind of horrifying and and moving but like that whole thing was also like oh okay so this whole movie is kind of about two damaged people just trying to make it through life but like it's not <laughs> like, like, that was my thing like so there's a point <laughs> where when he's first coming into the um the east 35th street or whatever whorehouse and um like not the governor's mansion correct no no the the whorehouse in manhattan proper um he he's uh he's coming in and we cut to this girl's face and her eyes are closed and she's counting down and when she finally gets to like zero like suddenly the sound is back and she's opened her eyes and I was like, oh, that's super interesting. Now we're going to see things from her perspective or like now we're going to go back in time and see everything from how she saw. But like she's never really a character. And when they're split up, I was expecting to like stay with her, like to suddenly share the screen. But like it, it's not. It's it's purely Joe's story. And I think that there's something interesting in the fact that 
he shows up to save her and she's already kind of quote unquote saved herself. Um, but and I'm not like, sure why he's so upset about that. I get, I don't know. Cause like maybe he just feels like he's unnecessary. Like I can, I could understand like believing that like the only thing you have to live for is to save this girl from being like raped again and, and then showing up and it's like, Oh, well I'm not even good for that. But like, that seems very selfish when I feel like he should be like, Oh, like, well good. Or like, maybe he thinks that she's dead too. Like maybe he thinks that like know. some I, other I, bastard I has come in and murdered this, the governor, like maybe the president came in and murdered the governor, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> just work your way up from state yeah. Senator to governor to president to, you know, mm-hmm. the, to the secretary general of the United Nations. I um, interpreted it as a play on him worrying about Queen her Elizabeth. innocence. What? what? I Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Elizabeth. <laughs> I mean, you I, rhymed with what I was saying, so I was confused. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell because, you know, he just starts crying, and I'm like, is he sure. crying because he's upset that this girl had to kill someone? Is he crying because he thinks that she's gone? Is he crying because he now knows that like. He's not but, even necessary to protect the people of the world who my thought thing, he was? Or is he just pissed is, that he didn't get to beat someone to death? Sure. My thing is, he is so practical and so just on the money and on the ball at all times during these kind of sequences and just no bullshit, right? And he's just going through, just mowing people down. And then he finds the guy that he was trying to kill has his throat slit in brutal fashion and then he just breaks down and cries. It's like, no, you dumbass, get up, see if that girl needs help right now. Figure out where she is. And eventually, after having like a five minute sobbing fest, he does that. But I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? She may be bleeding out somewhere else. Like, you can go help her. And so it was frustrating to watch that because I was like, Joe, you don't know what the fuck happened because I don't know what the fuck happened. So you need to get your ass out of there. I mean, admittedly, this is also about a character who has suicidal ideation. Like, this is a character who is constantly worried about his value as a person, like, as as Brian already mentioned, and like, as we see multiple times. But his value at that moment is still in question, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're thinking about it logically, he should say, like, okay, well, I shouldn't, like feel like a failure until i know that the girl is safe but like and that's the thing that's it's not like, like he walked in and saw a shit ton of blood and was like oh no sure. he saw the man who he was coming to to hammer and uh-huh. he was already dead but um i don't know it's uh, it's it's also i don't uh, i don't know if i i'm so stuck because this movie is so handsomely made at certain times and the acting is so good and i like i said i like the score i like some of the other aesthetic stuff so i feel like a rube when I'm pointing out these things that like, I want it to be more, I want it to be more conventional, but like, I don't like how, even though I know what all of those flashbacks were about, I still wish that we'd like spent more time in them and like gotten them fleshed out a bit. Like, because if you're giving me those, I just like, I shouldn't be wondering why he's crying in that bedroom. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a failure of the narrative because at this point you you've deemed to show me so much i should i should get it like when when he starts crying i should be like oh this is a reminder to him about the time that he was pissed off because his superiors waited too long to go in to save the dead asian women 
or the Asian women that they were already dead. So now he's thinking about the fact that he allowed himself to wait too long to come save this girl. And now she could be dead. But like, I don't know that for sure. But I, I think it's not even necessarily that I wanted to see more of those flashbacks. But it's Brian, it, it's what you said is that the it, they're almost edited as gotcha moments. Yeah. Like they're they're meant to destabilize, but they're in fact too successful because every time they happened, I was consistently reminded or, you know, I'm reminded that you're watching a flashback that, again, is supposed to feel fractured, but you don't have a way in. Like, like, mm-hmm. like you don't need to show more of that. You don't ne- need necessarily need to show more of that flashback. I see where both of you are coming from in, in talking about that. But I think that on in terms of editing and the rhythms that she chooses, and admittedly, I have to say, I thought that crying scene was very silly. In, in how it played out. Uh, like that was one of those clothing and I, yeah, like it felt very much like a moment for the Joaquin Phoenix Oscar. And I, I love Joaquin Phoenix and oh, he's yeah. done a lot of those like animalistic, you know, like bestial thing, but you know, that didn't, uh, gestures. That didn't really feel like Joe to me. Like, you know, agreed. I completely agreed. Like it felt like a very like actorly moment. And like, and, and then that, I, I think again that that uh, Fa suicide feels less like an actorly moment, but is still another thing that is not really uh, ab- about this story. Like it, it's not just Brian, like that uh, about it being more conventional. It, it's a sense that I can tell this is such a unique vision, I, and I can tell that like she just has an understanding of just even. Even how she shoots hands, people touching, like, is is not just about close-ups or anything. It's about like these, you know, three quarter, uh, three quarter of the figure shots, and they are mm. so intimate and they are so, um, yeah, sensuous in in a way that that I'm like, wh- why don't more filmmakers do this? <laughs> like, it's. So it's all those things in, in saying that all that personality, again, is in service of something that feels so so small and so hollow and so cobbled together. Mm-hmm. It's – um, I don't know. Like I, I really just find myself becoming more and more kind of let down by what this movie you know, decided to be. And I don't, I don't like doing that to a movie. Sure. But like, you know, I just like think about like he goes into the the hardware store and buys the tools of his trade. And then when he's going to the car, when he's in the car, he sets out like a bottle of water, bottle of grape soda, bottle of orange soda. Two sodas. Yeah. You know, and he's like, he's like got this down to a goddamn science. And like, I, I, I liked that. Like, I like how he like brings her into the car and he's like, you know, I got some sodas for you. I've done this before. I know you kids use slavery. I like, and then there's something like he is clearly such a careful person. He stops using a messenger service after this person's son, who was at a friend's house, happens to see him by happenstance because he's like, "That's too much sure. of a connection. I need to be able to disappear." And I like, you know, that's the kind of fucking guy that I want to see suddenly have his world rocked, and suddenly all of his little his little tricks. All of his little SOPs 
they don't help anymore. And so he's just got to go off the chain and, and go John Wick style and like wreak some havoc. And if you want to throw a healthy dollop of like three different kinds of post-traumatic stress on top of that, more power to you. I just like, I just wish that this movie didn't feel so ashamed of like the general pulp griminess that it should be like embracing. Speaking to one other interesting scene, I I really like that scene where uh, these four women ask him to take a photo on the camera. Mm -hmm. And for a second, you're not sure whether he's going to do it. Like he's almost like you can almost see him in real time way, whether does it make more of an impression if I say no or more of an impression if I do this? Like, am I less (laughs) of a ghost? (laughs) Yeah. And then depending on my choice. Yeah. And for a second, it, it legitimately seemed like he might not know that a phone is a camera now. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, uh, he's got a flip phone like Daniel Day Lewis. Let's be honest. Yeah, he does. Hey, man, those those still got those still got uh, those razors to good pictures, man. Yeah, all one megapixel. <laughs> the 25 kilobit picture you could send to a friend over the course of five minutes. Um, OK, so like the one thing. The one the one moment in this movie that I'm like 100% on board with is when he gut shoots a guy and then like it doesn't really torture him but kind of toys with him gets the answers he wants and then they lay down the well one guy's already laying down on the floor cuz he's bleeding to death and then he lays down on the floor next to him and like uh, this guy uh-huh. is like you know I'm fucking like a security detail for the governor like this isn't my fucking job I don't want to <laughs> do this like I'm sorry, like, I killed your mom. She was asleep. She didn't suffer. Like, this sucks. I hate this. Sure. You know, I wanted to I wanted to be a theater studies major. My dad told <laughs> me to go into criminology. Like, he ju- you could just feel, like, all of his yeah. regret over every life choice he made. And then they sit there listening to that, that song and, like, singing along with it. And then the guy, like, reaches and takes his hand because he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. I am going to die. And I really just need you to be here with me right now. We're having a moment. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's the kind of that's the kind of shit that I feel like this movie, like, could have used more of. Like, if you really don't want to tell this pulp story in, like, a, a, a razor sharp, like, blunt kind of way which is just i just can't i said razor sharp and then said blunt if you don't want to just cut to the fucking bone of this thing sure and make it like die hard death wish whatever then like sprinkle in a little more of that stuff like really yeah bask in the humanity it. of the people that you're dealing with sure you know give me more uh give me more the guy holding hands with the person who murdered him while he bleeds or, to death or on a give me floor. give me more of the of the senator or, or whatever and kind of his turmoil over whether he was part of this as a willing participant or whether he was part of this as part of like you know getting into that kind of position in politics and maybe that's how you have to play is you have a family and then you know your daughter is like subjugated to this kind of bullshit you know right. um, I mean like there's... kind of pull pull into that have have follow that course a little bit and you know i i feel like the last few movies lately we've we've gotten down into like talking about like what we wish this film was but honestly this is this is one of those films where i can't talk about it and how disappointed i am with it outside of talking about what i wish it did instead you know it's really hard to talk about because because i'm just not giving much towards it so much it does. Sure. It and does. um 
Yeah, I mean, you make a good, like first of all, like if you if you go to any if you go to the right bar in DC on a week on a weekday night, and you buy whiskey for the right battered down old person there, you'll hear like a whole story about how like you know no man's ever been a president who wasn't in the room with a naked child because like people really do have that like expectation that like politics is an evil an evil clubhouse full of debauched degenerates and that even a good man has to be in a situation like that because they want to be able to hold something over you and like the whole first season of true detective was about that like there's there's a whole conspiracy theory about the franklin credit union in like omaha or something that has to do with that like and and i just like that's such like a a pulp horrifying like weird idea and i just like this movie kind of treats it like maybe these and the movie i mean this man is making enough money (laughs) to 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 live and this is his sole job so like this movie seems to exist in a world where like you just accept that like yeah almost any like young girl is at risk of being snatched up into the sex trade at any moment. And I just, I kind of sure. wish that like, it feels like there's a world, uh, what do they call it? A, uh, what's that? What's that crazy Latin term for like a hidden world? It's like a something mundi or something. It doesn't matter. Oh, we're talking about the Illuminati. No, it's, it's like the, it, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, damn it, that's gonna it's, piss me off now. Anyway, it's, wait, it's not. Go ahead. I'm sorry. If you could look this up for me, I would help. It would I'm help trying. Me a lot I'm trying. Mentally, um, in fact, I think it was the title of an episode of Penny Dreadful. If that helps, <laughs> but it's like the hidden shadow world underneath ours, and Joe seems to inherently understand where it is and who runs it, and it feels like this is the first time that he's like had an opportunity to go out and like maybe cut the head off the snake. But like, because we don't know who's running it. Like, I don't think that the governor of New York is like the only guy doing this. You know, it just feels like he should, he should go on a war path. I don't know. Like, I just, I just kind of like, I want that. I want that movie. I want Hammerman versus the, the governmental, you know, underage sex traffickers. Is it Oculo Mundus? Is, is it? It could be. <laughs> yeah, let's... I don't know. Uh... Anyways, does anyone else have anything to say about this? <laughs> <laughs> I've, 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 uh, I've talked myself into something of a headache. I am a little bit dizzy right now, and I think I'm, I think I'm done. Bill, Mike, any final thoughts? Um, I, I think I think we've done enough damage to this film. Um, I, I honestly, I'm I'm I I wish we had someone on here that really liked it, but honestly, I don't know what they would really add to this film because I'm I'm curious because where I'm coming from is I don't have a lot of people that talk about it without being the variety reviewer or being, you know, a, a high positioned reviewer. So I talk, I listen to a lot of podcasts where they talked about, you know, like, I guess middle, middle tier critics, I guess is, is a polite way of saying it. And so I'm curious to see what they feel like it 
about this because obviously a lot of the the heavy hitter film critics have weighed in and they've praised it to high heavens and i'm just i i don't know if i want their take so much as i want someone else's kind of more middle tier uh take on this and just hear them talk about it and hear what they enjoy about it um but i i don't know i this film is is really weird and that it got as much praise as it did and i'm just i'm kind of flabbergasted really um i see the formalism i see i see the beauty of it but i don't see much beyond that i i'm not i'm not surprised it it's uh got as praised as it is and i again i i, I i'm not going to try to bring this up with every new case but i think I think the questions about elevated pulp and elevated horror, I think that conversation has a lot more to go because it's, you know, it's something, again, that has come up over and over, you know, with things like The Witch and It Follows and I guess, uh, you know, The Babadook and all of those which are about, you know, weightier things as a subtext. And I just uh, I think this is going to be a conversation that hasn't uh, fully been had yet. <laughs> However ominous that sounds or exhausting. I, I, exhausting is probably the right word. Oh, I found it. It's Demimond. <laughs> it's uh, French. French. It literally means half world. Okay. It is a group of people considered to be on the fringes of respectable society. Though apparently in the 19th century, it specifically meant the class of women considered to be doubtful morality and social standing. You were right. It's, it is a uh, a penny dreadful. Hell yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, I wish it had been more in the demi Um, I can't, I literally can't talk about this movie anymore. Uh, yeah, hopefully, I'm done. hopefully my thoughts have been coherent. Uh, I'd like to thank, as always, my co-hosts for uh, navigating this with me and putting up with my ranting and slow slide into insanity. Um, help us out. Go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. Of course, we are also brought to you by movie, the online streaming cinema. Um, if I, if I thought that I could coherently read an email right now, I would tell you what's coming to <laughs> movie next week. Um, but as you know, in the past, we've talked about how Philippe Garel and Harmony Corrine have things going on there and those should still be there now. Uh, check it out every day you get to you get a new movie in your pocket and you can be like oh shit i've never heard of that that sounds awesome or oh my god i've always wanted to see that and um you can download it to watch it on the go or you can use your smart tv or your pc or your laptop and um if you'd like a free 30-day trial go to mubi.com slash film stage and uh we can we can help you out with that uh, I would say next week, but technically later this week. Um, yeah, first of all, we the Isle of Dogs will come out probably like two hours before this one does. So check that out if you haven't already. Um, in addition, uh, in a couple of days, we'll be talking about uh, Avengers Infinity War. And that'll be sweet as hell. Uh, I know, Michael, you were especially looking forward to this movie. You haven't been able to stop talking about it. so excited. So excited. (laughs) And um, that sounded way too sincere. I screwed up. (laughs) Who's going to die in this movie? I haven't heard any spoilers yet. I think we should throw out our uh, our concepts of who's going to die in Avengers Infinity War. Captain uh, America. 
Yeah. That sounds about right. It's like Captain America and Iron Man feel like safe bets to probably die. Well, I'm looking on Reddit and uh, Kevin Feige decided to release a YouTube video about what's going to happen <laughs> in phase four. So and it's just uh, a just giant chorus line <laughs> of people singing. I'm never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Um, okay. So yeah, that's it. That's all. Uh, join us next time when we'll be talking about Avengers Infinity War. And, I had to uh, explain to my girlfriend what a Rick roll was. And that was, that was a fun conversation. She was not impressed. Is your girlfriend like 47 years old? What's up? Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I was, I was flabbergasted as well. What did you briefly say? I, I, I'm curious. <laughs> Way back well, in the oh, day did, before did, yeah. there was monetization on YouTube and you wouldn't get spoiled <laughs> well, because a fucking ad would play before the music actually did. Sure. That, that as well. I'd also mentioned that it used to be where preview links didn't actually happen. Yeah. And so it was just a link and you were just told, hey, this badass thing is at this link. Click here. And so, of course, you would be like, well, I'm a dumbass. Let me click that. And, and then, then you would hear that fucking like, song again. We're strangers to love. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm at the delirium point where I've begun to sing, <laughs> so it's time to say goodbye. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me buying ball pin hammer stock on K- at Cable BFG on Twitter, and then also mixing it up in the Slack channel. We've we've gone deep dive into <laughs> you fucking people. Uh, I don't even know office. what you're talking about on there because I have been painting my house and I looked down and legitimately had 99 missed messages, <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I'll never know what they're talking about. Legitimately, that uh. is that is often what happens when y'all are on our little private Slack channel and y'all start talking and then I suddenly come upon that and I'm like, (laughs) nope, nope, nope. None of this is necessary. I don't see anything in scheduling. Okay. Yeah. It's it's an active active Slack check. Check it out. Give us money. Uh, Michael Snydell. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at at Snydell where I'll be putting forth my conspiracy theory that You Were Never Really There is the sequel to There Will Be Blood because he drinks her milkshake. But You Were Uh, Never Really Here. You Were Never Really... What? It's the sequel. You said Never Really There. (laughs) There's a difference? Uh, Eli and, and Paul Sunday, were they both the same person? Was one of them never really here? Exactly. You run with that joke, Brian. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to run that fucking thing into the ground. Um, what, what is it? You were never really here. Wish I was here. And then I'm not here. And I'm still yeah. here. Oh, my God. I forgot about wish I was here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm really there. You can uh, find me on Letterboxd. I am also really there. Um, and uh, you can find me on my personal site, dearfilm.net. And, of course, we're on filmstage.com. And uh, that's it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, tune in next time. Never been to me. Please, lady, please, lady, don't just walk away. Because I have.